Welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby, our first official post-Downton World episode. Luckily, Julian Fellows has been kind enough to grace us with a new story that we will be digging into along with a more general topic. We'll be discussing the status of queer characters in TV, and we have two very special guests with us for that, who we will introduce in just a moment. But first, as usual, I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I'm Teresa coming to you from Toronto, Canada. Woo! I love our international episodes. So yes, we have moved into the true post-Downton world, but just this week... Mr. Fellows has released the first chapter of a novel that he is publishing serially on an app, which I didn't even know Julian knew what apps were, so this is just oh, blowing my mind. Carson would be horrified. He would want it, you know, handwritten, you know, sealed with a wax seal and sent by carrier pigeon. <laughs> I would subscribe to that. I would pay more than I think the $14 it's going to cost me to read this book. Oh my God, that would be pigeon. amazing that you sign up for the subscription service and you get a chapter each month handwritten. Handwritten. <laughs> I would pay for that. I, I am I am grateful for Julian for giving us something. And I am also constantly amazed at his business acumen as ha- how he just can com- the completely recycle and recycle and recycle this stuff and just keep it coming in different formats with different titles. <laughs> and I say that with great love. I do. I say that with love. I'm in awe of him. Well, I can't wait to read it. And so next time we're going to do a podcast focused Uh, just discussing about these chapters. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so if you're going to be reading along, uh, I think we'll also be posting some Facebook threads to discuss it. Uh, We'll get to really dig into these characters. The app is actually pretty cool. So the story takes place in 1815, and I was thinking, oh, but we don't get to see any of the dresses. But there's actually, like, a pop-up to show you some of the costumes. Oh, thank God. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually kind of cool. Like, the conceit is that you can read it through the app, and you can also do an audio version through the app, which is done by Juliet Stevenson, who is an amazing British actress who I first... Um, saw in the film Truly Madly Deeply with Alan Rickman. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's great. She reads it really wonderfully. And it's about an hour if you listen to it. And I found that it was kind of a nice, like, feeling like I'm actually, like, watching a show or something because of that framing. Um, So it was really fun. And then, yeah, you can go on the website. They have photos of costumes and oil paintings of scenes uh, that, you know, are described in this story. Not bad. Oh, and we should probably say it's julianfellowsbelgravia.com is how you find it online. And then there are links on how to download the app and how to get the stuff on Kindle and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so the first the first episode is free. And then, you know, if you like it, I think it's going to be two bucks for each one, or you can get like a season pass that's less than that. So the first hit is always free. (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to it and looking forward to discussing it with you ladies in our next podcast. Uh, In other post Downton World news, I'm sure we were all delighted to see Mr. Mason pop up on Call the Midwife. (laughs) Yes, that was great. Uh, romancing another delightful old lady so he's really found his late in life niche (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was nice to see him there and I hope that goes on not necessarily for for Paul Copley who's the actor but for Nurse Crane who I really love and would like to see her character expanded a bit that would be really cool that's a character that I was a little iffy on when she first started and has just been such a delight and every time she talks about her motor car I think it's just so cute she's amazing and we got a makeover montage which was yes always love a makeover so I want to start a new um a new feature called the Dan Stevens IMDB watch (laughs) (laughs) to see what if anything he's working on and so I just checked it and he's got seven projects that are currently in production one of them is Beauty and the Beast which we've spoken about and the others I know absolutely nothing about except one is an X-Men franchise film oh Okay. Yeah, I'll tell you who he plays. He plays David Haller in Legion, 
It's a TV movie, that so means, I don't even know what that means. That means nothing to me, but great. <laughs> yeah. He's an X-Men character. His I don't know. His career is all over the place. I know I've talked about The Guest on here before. I don't know if you guys ever watched it, where he is just, like, ridiculously hot and creepy, which were both new adventures for me with Dan Stevens. <laughs> and uh, I, I, so I feel like he has, like, this range that we haven't seen in a big, big project yet. I hope Beauty and the Beast is good. Yeah, I want him to have a good career. I have no animosity. I think he made Downton Abbey better by leaving. I agree. And I'm more and I'm more curious about what Edith is going to do next. I really like that actress and I haven't seen what's next for her. Yeah, I haven't seen anything for Laura Carmichael or a lot of the people yet. I, I'm still waiting for more previews of the weird TNT show that Michelle Dockery is doing. I'm going to watch it no matter what. Of course. Of course. Just to support her. And, and I love wigs. Laura Carmichael is in a show called Marcella right now, and I don't know anything about it at all. A TV show or like a Broadway show? It's a TV show. Okay. That's the thing with these British actors is that so often, like, they just go on the stage for a while, and then it's like, damn it, I, I can't just, like, pop over to London to see you. Well, let's move into our main topic for the day. I am so excited to introduce our very first guests ever on Downton Gabby. We have with us Britta Lundin and Dave Binegar. Say hi, guys. Hey. Hello. And I don't know if you guys want to just say a few words about who you are, what you do. Britta, tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, I My name is Britta Lundin, and I am a filmmaker and screenwriter living in Los Angeles. Also, I'm very gay. <laughs> I'm glad that you're very gay. That's my qualification. Just a little bit gay. <laughs> like Britta, on a on a scale of like like zero to ten, uh-huh. ten being like full Richard Simmons, uh-huh. zero being like whatever is the most hetero hetero thing you could think of. Uh-huh. Where are you on that spectrum? Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, you know, I'm like pretty gay, <laughs> <laughs> except for like maybe when it comes to like. Um, fictional like male characters in on television which happens to be one of the things we're talking about today but even then I prefer it when they're gay so I don't know that's pretty gay to me and Dave hey I am Dave Binegar I'm also in Los Angeles Uh, I currently work in programming at Showtime Networks um, but have a background in animation and visual effects and created a co-created and co-produced a little web series called Cost of Living woohoo with someone awesome. And on a scale of zero to ten, how gay are you? <laughs> probably, probably like an eight, nine. Like assuming te- like ten is the Richard Simmons end of the spectrum. Okay. So we've really upped our gay level. Our average has like really gone yeah, up. Yeah, gone, really <laughs> gone up. So obviously the topic of uh, queer characters in TV has been having a little bit of a moment in the sun lately. Following some controversial deaths lately, including Lexa on The 100 and Denise on The Walking Dead. Oh, this is going to be a spoiler podcast, by the way. (laughs) Um, So we wanted to discuss that because in our long talks about Down Abbey, obviously we've spoken at length about the character of Thomas and how badly he was treated over time. Um, In general, I think gay characters on period pieces are treated pretty badly, and it's disappointing to see that sort of leeching out into stuff where it doesn't have to be that way these sci-fi and fantasy stories more contemporary stories so we want to talk about how the status of things and also some examples of shows that we think are doing a good job because there are things out there that are really showing why you don't need to just kill your gay characters (laughs) Okay, before we dive into the analysis of queer characters in TV, I thought it'd be fun for all of us to go around and say a queer character or episode or scene or show that has been really important to us. Such a good question. Uh, The first thing that came to mind, which is just what I'll run with, is uh, Queer as Folk, which aired on Showtime um, in the early 2000s and um, was kind of a very, it was a very seminal show for a lot of queer people. It was a show, an ensemble cast of openly gay and lesbian characters, which I don't think had existed on television before that. Um, At the end of the first season, one of the main characters is named Justin, 
And his storyline is he's 17 and falls for this um, very handsome, very promiscuous older guy named Brian. Uh, and they have this on-again, off-again romance throughout the life of the show. Um, but at the end of the first season, he goes to his prom and Brian shows up and they have this dance that shocks everyone in his very wealthy, um, conservative private school. And it's this very sweet romantic moment. And then immediately after that, um, he walks Brian to his car, Brian leaves so he can go have fun with his high school friends and he's gay bashed. And the whole second season is him kind of coming to terms with his PTSD and dealing with that trauma, um, falling in love, figuring out who he is as an artist and as an openly gay person. Um, and it was pretty shocking for me to see that at, I think it was 14 or 15 at the time. Um, and I think for better and worse, that show was really influenced my generation of gay men. Wow, you were watching Queer as Folk when you were like 14 or 15? I think so, yeah. yeah. Wow. That was my first exposure to queer life. And again, for better and worse, because it did show gay male characters in relationships and dealing with the kinds of storylines that we've seen straight characters deal with before. I mean, I can't think of another time where we saw gay male relationships um, with any complexity on screen. Even Will and Grace, they didn't even give Will a boyfriend until the sixth or seventh yeah. season. Yeah, right. And I think they never even slept together on screen or, like, hinted at it. It was like they barely kissed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was a plus. The flip side of that was it presents a very traditional, stereotypical image of what it's like to be a gay man and that it's a lot of sleeping around and it's a lot of going to the gym and it's very body and image conscious and it's a lot of drugs. And um, Isn't that what you guys do all the time? <laughs> Mostly. I thought that was like your life. Mostly. <laughs> I'm at the gym right now. Yeah, going to the gym, doing cocaine, going to the gym. I knew yeah. there was stuff going down in those Showtime Network bathrooms. Oh, for sure. Sure. But um, so it, it, it's, a, it's a show that influenced me a lot and I think really has some positive moments. I should say it was first um, a UK series um, that was adapted. I, I wish I had been watching Queer as Folk when I was 14 years old. I mean, it's, it's sort of a rated R series, but I feel like I didn't find any like queer television or media that wasn't like YA books I could find in my high school library until like college, basically. I, I just feel like there wasn't really anything out there. I feel like, so I guess that's a segue to my most influential queer character, which is, um, his name is Dean Winchester. He's on a show called Supernatural. Oh, shit. You're doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Dean is not uh, actually queer, explicitly queer on the show. In fact, the creators would say he's not at all. But the reason that he's so influential is he's like one of the most written about characters in fan fiction. And um, he is, he, if you read any fan fiction at all, you probably know about Dean and Castiel. Um, they're a very popular pairing online. And there's a sort of understanding among fans that the Dean character is bisexual, but you would never, that's never actually going to happen on the show. But I think why it's influential for me is because even when you're in these sort of like queer deserts where you look around and none of the media you see actually has any queer characters on it. It's just like a reminder that you can always go online. You, there's always communities out there who are like queering all your favorite characters. <laughs> like no matter who it is, no matter whether it's like the straightest, you know, dude bro who's out there like fighting demons in Nebraska um, like any, or like, you know, anyone to the Property Brothers. <laughs> like, who, hasn't, who hasn't shipped the Property Brothers? No matter who your favorite is. <laughs> I have yeah, right? not shipped the Property Brothers, just for the record. No, no. They live in bunk beds. Like, how can you not? <laughs> they live together. Um, like, there's someone out there who's, like, taking your favorite character and making them queer. So, I don't know. Even if you can't think of a... Even if you, like, look around and you don't see any gay characters on TV, like, they live in fan fiction. And, like, Lexa on the 100 will live on in fan fiction. They'll be Lexa fan fiction for, like, a decade. And so, like, even if you're sad, there's, like, a community out there for you who's, like, making these queer characters a reality. They're just not doing it on TV because they don't have the means yet. But someday, you know, honestly, I think all these fanfic writers right now, we're all growing up to be, like, authors and TV writers and, 
you know, the media makers of tomorrow. And I feel like we're going to see like fan fiction sprung to life in the next 10 years because like everyone's coming up in this age of fan fiction and then they're going to go on to be your screenwriters and your filmmakers and your novel writers. And then we can get some better representation in the real stories. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that example because in in our personal friendship, Britta, I remember the first time that you presented this idea of, you know, bisexual Dean to me because I was a longtime Supernatural watcher, but not part of the sort of online fandom. And that was a real eye opener for me about some stuff that the show had been doing and sort of presenting to the fans, um, often I think knowingly without any intention of following through. And, you know, it just hadn't really registered for me before. So, uh, like, rethinking about one of my favorite shows through that lens has been super eye-opening for me on this topic. Yeah, I remember that moment because I remember I was like, wait, you don't think he was bi? And you were like, wait, you do think he's bi? (laughs) And we were both like, what? Are we watching the same show? Yes, but then I started rewatching some of it and reading some of the, uh, our, another mutual friend of ours sent a long list of links for me yeah. to read. Yeah. Yes. And, it, and it was really good for me to think about the show differently from that perspective. This sounds yeah. as mind-blowing to me as when I was a kid and I was a huge Amy Grant fan, and then someone sat me oh down and told me that she was singing about God and Jesus and Christianity, <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> what? And then I went back and listened to all of her songs, and I was horrified. I had no idea this was happening. I just think I'm loving Baby Baby. I have no idea. So when Shannon asked this question about our favorite queer characters, I automatically started thinking about, like, earliest influences and then kind of got mad realizing how much of the media I watched as a kid or as a teenager had no representation of LGBT LGBT characters at all. But the one I could think of that was actually really important to me um, was Dr. Carrie Weaver on ER, which was the first like adult drama I was allowed to watch. Still one of my favorite shows of all time, like a super, super influential drama for me. Loved it. And this is a character who sort of started out, um, she was just basically the bitch, right? She was the boss that everybody hated. But she also had these mysterious elements to her. She had this limp that no, for seasons upon seasons was never commented upon or explained. Um, So a modicum of tiny representation for disability as well. And then she ended up coming out a few seasons into the show and it was a major storyline for a long time. And that's the first time I remember seeing a narrative like that um, where this character who was already established in the show and was already being taken very seriously also got to take on that storyline of uh, reckoning with her own sexuality and how that would affect her work and her life. So I my uh, cultural reference points are from a bit earlier than y'all. Uh, I was recently graduated from college in the mid-80s, uh, right in the middle of uh, the AIDS epidemic and right in the middle of a wonderful group of gay men that I hung out with a lot. So this was a big deal in our lives. And no one really was talking about it in the mainstream. And then this movie came out called Parting Glances. I don't know if you've seen this film. It's a 1986 film. Uh, it was Steve Buscemi's first role. He's really young. He's really good in that. And it, he's great. And it's about a group of gay men in New York. And um, Steve Buscemi plays a character who has AIDS. And um, it was the first time I saw this community actually portrayed anywhere in the popular culture. And it wasn't exactly my community, but, you know, it was pretty close. And uh, that was really profound for me that I could see that on screen. And then a few years later, the film Longtime Companion came out in 89. And that was even more profound for me because Mary Louise Parker played this straight woman who was friends with all these guys. And so I was sort of finally seeing me in this film. So I don't have any real, like, specific gay characters, but I I have really vivid memories of how powerful those two films were. And also how... um, they, a lot of people didn't see them because they were about gay people. 
you know? Mm -hmm. Still very underground, uh, very underground. But I saw them, and I, I was really moved by them. And um, it was a weird time, you guys. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that was a really... We, I remember when, when one of my very best friends came out to me, and the first thing I asked him was, are you okay? Mm. Oh, my God. Because people usually came out because they were sick. Oh, oh my God. So he was okay. He's still okay. He lives in L.A. You guys should meet him. He's awesome. <laughs> okay, hey, Jamie. Okay. <laughs> there is, you know, when I first started volunteering with Frameline or Outfest, there is kind of this generation of gay men where there's less of them. Um, yeah. Which, is, which, like, I didn't really wow. get it until I started hanging out in queer spaces that were multi-generational. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, it's And those two films are great choices because they're, I think, two of the first films that dealt with what it was like to live with AIDS and live with people who ha were dealing with AIDS um, in a realistic way. Right, but also, and also what it's like to just be normal people who happen to be gay. Yes, right. Totally. <laughs> you know, and that was, a, that was a big thing, too. Yeah, that not their gayness is their entire character. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, well, so my first experience of watching gay characters on TV was binging the L word in college. Oh my God. <laughs> so realistic, you know, um, but you know, and then I would see, you know, lesbian characters on TV and they're always these like beautiful lipstick lesbians. So for me, the first character that really meant a lot to me and exemplified the lesbians I see in Oakland was Snoop on the wire. Oh, yeah. Oh. And her gayness, I would say Omar on The Wire, too. Um, mm -hmm. Both amazing gay characters on that show. And they're still strong, intimidating killers <laughs> and are gay and have intense gay relationships. And because I think a lot of gay characters before that were seen as weak. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think those those two characters on the wire really um, just really stood out to me as like let's see a range, you know. Yeah. Britta and Dave, on a scale of zero to ten, how much of a killer are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see where I'm at by the end of this podcast. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing about those characters too is that they, their gayness wasn't like a plot point in every episode, mm -mm. Um, where it's like. It's, it's kind of like my life where like, well, every day I come home to my wife, but I'll say entire days go by where I forget, like where the fact that I'm gay does not like enter my mind. Like I don't, I forget that it's a thing, you know, and yeah. then it'll be like, oh, and then you'll have to come out to somebody like, you know, I don't know, somebody, somebody new or something. You're like, oh yeah, that's a thing that makes me different supposedly. But like, yeah, it's not something that I'm always thinking about where I'm like walking down the street being like, gay, 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 gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like we're not thinking, oh, I'm straight all the time. I'm straight. I'm straight. Yeah. I'm straight. Yeah. I mean, it's just a facet of a personality. And that's when it gets so frustrating when that becomes the entire emphasis of the character. All right. So, in, you know, Barrier Gaze has been really big in the recent conversation with Lexa from The 100 and Denise from The Walking Dead and the millions of other examples. And it seems to me the main emphasis on the conversation is it's okay to kill gay characters, but there has to be a point. Don't just have them get hit by a stray bullet or a, a stray arrow just to have something to talk about. Yeah, and, and you know what else helps? If it's not the only or one of two gay characters on the show, like, especially if you have a wide variety of characters then, who are gay, then yeah, feel free to kill off one of them. But uh, yeah. I think for any listeners who aren't familiar with the this trope, like that really is where it comes from, where you sort of have your token gay character and then they end up, they or their significant other ends up having a tragic death. Um, I The first episode that comes to my mind is always when Tara died on Buffy, uh, yeah. particularly because it was that stray bullet thing and she was sacrificed solely so that Willow could have this like big... Storyline for her and send her into darkness, um, and that is the kind of thing that actually ha it happens a lot on TV in general, but so much more. It, it like there's just like people feel this like tragedy porn with queer characters that is not cool. I just want to say, I feel like it's sort of similar to rape storylines. I was gonna say the same you thing. Know, where where we need something dramatic. 
and and so someone gets raped and then that's their entire character and it adds this drama and and we've talked about this a lot with Downton Abbey and some other shows as well and it's it's sloppy sloppy storytelling yeah well and that's something you know rape rape storylines happen to women and bury your gays storylines happen to gay people the the straight men their their job is to heroically move through the pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With their shirts off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ideally. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I read about the Lexa death on the 100, it's like she had just had a gay sex scene. And then yeah. Denise on The Walking Dead is literally giving a speech about how she loves her lesbian lover as she gets shot in the eye. <laughs> it's like they're almost being punished for being overtly lesbian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just reinforces the idea that, like, if if you're gay, you can't have a happy story. You, you're... You live in a terrible world that doesn't like you, and uh, no matter how hard you struggle, um, something terrible will happen to you or your loved one. There's, like, no happiness there for you. Yeah, and it's not like the media could help change the real world if they didn't keep <laughs> telling people that. <laughs> well, and it's like, what is what is that telling young you know, gay men and women who are struggling to come out and these are the only stories that they're seeing. I mean, doesn't make you feel more courageous. Yeah. But was it, Dave, were you the one who was saying that like the best possible outcome for a gay character used to be that they wouldn't die? Yeah. And I think that's, Shannon and I talked about that a lot with Downton Abbey, that um, Thomas's character, um, I think that that is kind of the best possible outcome for a gay man living in rural England in that era. Mm-hmm. Is that he would stay in the closet and employed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he did try to kill himself, but... <laughs> but, <laughs> but his, but his end succeed. decision... Yeah, his end decision was, okay, I'm going to suppress my my gayness and I'm going to be the butler of this house and we can assume that he's effectively never going to try and find love again after that. That's what was um, proposed to us. I think the best case scenario would be Robert has to go to America again and Thomas gets to go along. Because I think those cruises are actually really good for his sex life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you know what? I, I hate all of that. I think, I think uh, you know, Downton Abbey is a show that they're making today for audiences today and I just find I find that really terrible that they're like look Thomas has this happy ending where he's not dead like no I reject that there's there's so many different you know ways you could go with that character um he, he you know he could do you could do you're the you're in charge of this character you can write him anything you can write him yeah. he can go to france he can you know he can have he can berlin berlin yeah berlin. we spoke yeah. extensively about our wishes for her for him to go to berlin so. <laughs> yeah, totally right there's so many options that you can write your way through um but they chose not to do that they chose to give him a sad lonely miserable existence that's I don't care if that's historically re- accurate. Like, I don't give a shit. Can we swear? I think I think that's yeah. fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Foul-mouthed <laughs> is part of our we encourage uh, motto. And Br- <laughs> okay, Britta, you're absolutely right. I mean, but I think that's that's consistently what we see in historical dramas. Is that that's I think we've yet to see historical drama portray queer characters in a way that we would find satisfying to a contemporary audience, which yeah. is a big well, problem. The thing that- thing that pisses me off even more is when it leeches into fantasy that has historical elements so you're telling me even on game of thrones we couldn't yeah. have like you know right. not had renly have to be a secret gay man like there is no reason there's the right. westeros doesn't exist we do not right. need to have like a historical accuracy there you know yeah. why does that have to be Game of Thrones could be a world without homophobia. They could have written that. It would have been amazing, but he chose not to. That was, mm-hmm. like, too far outside of his imagination. Oh, dragons, breathing fire, sure, but a world without homophobia? Who would believe it? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like every time I watch these movies or TV shows about the future and everyone's white, it's like, I, I don't understand, you know, it's the future. You can make yeah. it better. That's just lazy. Also, yeah. it just doesn't make sense if you look at the demographics of yeah, the world. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And 
I know we're going to get to this shows that are showing gender gender on a true spectrum, but it also is becoming more diverse in, in gender as well. And so to have these future worlds or fantasy worlds filled with white straight people is completely unrealistic. So <laughs> I think the important thing to note about Barrier Gaze is that no matter what happens on the show, and it is important what happens on the show because they reach a very, very large audience, but no matter what they do, it will all be fixed in fan fiction. <laughs> so if there's ever something you see on TV that you're like, that is some bullshit right there. You just find your way over to archive of our own and look up some fanfic and someone has rewritten the ending or found a way that the character is still alive or just frankly ignored it altogether and written a, a happy ending <laughs> for those characters. So if you guys are like, why are all the terrible storylines why are all the storylines about queer characters tragic um it doesn't have to be that way there's like people who are like rewriting history as we speak for free and putting it online for you to read go leave them a kudos yay america america (laughs) yeah only only americans well it's worldwide yay earth (laughs) yay earth Someday the aliens will come and we'll be like, okay, but first, fan fiction. No, the aliens will come because they've been reading our fan yeah. fiction. <laughs> I think that's the plot of Galaxy Quest. Ah, it is the plot of Galaxy <laughs> Quest. Well, and it's something that this is sort of fan fiction about to come to life. Basically, ironically, from the dude who caught a lot of the flack for the Lexus storyline on the 100, even though he's not the showrunner and did not make that decision for that to happen. But uh, the writer, Javi Griot Markswatch, is doing the Xena reboot yeah. and is promising that, sh- that it will not just be implied queerness this time around. And I feel like that kind of real reboot that's actually going to address these issues is that is a testimony for fan fiction. Like, yeah, the clamoring from fans is what's going to make this reboot go full lesbian. Yeah. Totally. Because the reason they're rebooting it is because the, they know that there's fans out there who want it. And the reason they make it lesbian is because they know that's what fans want. Like, they, they're not going to make a show that they think no one's going to watch. So that, I think it's awesome. Yeah. But without Lucy Lawless, will they come? I, oh, wait, it's I'll not with it. Lucy Lawless? I'll watch it. Oh. I mean, if it's gay, I'll watch it. I would be very surprised if they don't end up doing something with Lucy Lawless, but I would watch it even if she's playing a totally different character and then they have, like, you know, 20-something Xena. I'm sure they're going to have. I think it'll be great regardless, and in particular because I just love the cheesiness of that kind of show. Oh, I love that. I mean, I've seen every episode of Hercules and Xena. Me too. (laughs) Me too. I watch them with my dad. We love them. Wow. Oh, my God. Can we reboot Hercules as gay as well? Yeah, oh yeah. That would be great. Wait, can we just like, you know how the new trend right now is taking um, old movies and rebooting them with female casts like Ghostbusters? Yeah. Like, I love that Mm -hmm. and I just want to reboot all the old TV shows and actually make the gay subtext like text again. That should just be all of our film and TV moving forward. It's like... I mean, I'm actually kind of offended that in the new Star Trek, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto are making out all the time. Well, yeah. they are in fan fiction. <laughs> they are. They are in my mind. Speaking of uh, gay reboots, I don't know if anyone saw this, but uh, there's a video of Lin Manuel Miranda singing with uh, Raul Esparza, brilliant Broadway performer, also on TV, uh, saying "A Boy Like That" mm. from West Side Story. Oh yeah, and it starts off kind of funny and campy, but then it gets really kind of real. Mm-hmm. I think. Watching two men singing about a boy that's bad for one of them. And I love those kind of transformative moments that can happen so easily and give new meaning to something that mm. we've heard a thousand that is really times. Powerful. Yes. I will, I will add that that doesn't pass the, the gay queer Bechdel test. <laughs> but we're going to allow okay. it. Okay. Why? Tell us about that. <laughs> I wish that was a thing, but they're talking about. About oh, one. so you want <laughs> okay. more queer characters allowed to talk to each other about something other than their own romantic agendas? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Is that what the queer Bechtel test would be? Sure. The Bechtel-Wallace-Binagar test. I guess test. that's what it would be, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's nice. 
And their queerness is just part of who they are, not what they are. I'm a great accountant. Doesn't matter if I'm gay. I'm going to sing about it. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch a show called The Gay Accountant, though. Going to get you those write-offs. <laughs> <laughs> so within this world uh, where there's very problematic media, but there's, you know, these communities online where anything can happen, I feel like things are very turbulent right now, but there are a few shows and a few um, showrunners that are really sort of setting a new bar. So I want to talk about some of those shows that you guys suggested. And one of the many of them we've already talked about on this on this podcast before, um, in particular, Orange is the New Black, we have praised for the variety of characters that they highlight. Well, before I thought of Snoop on The Wire, I originally thought of Big Boo. Again, a mm-hmm. very butch character, and you don't see butch lesbian women on TV. Yeah. And to me, that is revolutionary, just having her there. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing that we, we doesn't get talked about as much is that once Orange is the New Black is over, now, like, no one has an excuse for saying, like, oh, we just couldn't find any butch lesbians to cast in our show or in our Mm -hmm. movie. It's like, are you kidding? I could show you a whole (laughs) cast from a very popular television show. So, like, now Big Boo, you know, she's been acting forever. She's been performing forever. But no one knew who she Mm -hmm. was or very few people did until now. But now it's like, hey, if you want a butch lesbian, if you want, like, uh, you know, any, like, all of these types of women, you have, like, that has given them a platform. Yeah, and there's so many different types of lesbian relationships on that show, you know, the longtime loves, um, like Piper and Alex, and then you just have the, like, hey, I'm in jail and I'm horny and I just kind of want to fuck for a bit, and you're a woman, <laughs> and, you know, like the Lorna's. And, you know, so you get a real wide variety of lesbian experiences on that show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think when Orange is the New Black kills off a lesbian character, you don't get the same outcry of people saying you're burying your gays because there's such a wide diversity yeah. there already. Yeah, and the character that they did kill off wasn't necessarily like one of the main characters for a huge shock value. Mm-hmm. To me, it felt very of a piece of some of the other tragic backstories or hard transitions back to real life that they've talked about on the show. Mm -hmm. It felt like it was part of the, you know, for lack of a better word, the tapestry that they have going on. And then you can also see that the show wants to continue its core female romance with Piper and Alex almost to a fault. Mm -hmm. They are, (laughs) you know, keeping them together. So you know that that's not like the purpose of the show is to have just these these tragic side storylines. You know that they're respecting that as as something that could be a through line for a long time. You know, it's interesting as we're thinking about Orange is the New Black, and I was thinking about this, you know, kind of lesbian for a day thing that happens in jail. <laughs> and you see, you see those storylines more with women of like, oh, I'll experiment with lesbianism. And I cannot think of a single male storyline where they experimented with a you know, gay experience, as many men do. And bisexuality is, you know, more and more. Are we going to talk about Oz? I'm pretty sure everything ended with a shiv to the throat on Oz. I don't know. I never watched that. (laughs) I think Oz is the only show where they really do, I mean, it is a prison setting, obviously, but um, I think it's the only show where they do address uh, male bisexuality in that way, way, Mm -hmm. like that open experimentation. Okay, there was an episode of Sex in the City where Carrie uh, became friends with a group of people who were, quote-unquote, alternative. Oh, my God. And the, guy, <laughs> and the guy she was dating casually mentions that he used to date this yeah. other guy, which was very shocking, really rocked Carrie's right. world. Right, and then, well, the fact that it rocked Carrie's world then is, like, kind of undermines the whole point of it. It's like, then I'm right. sure she had, like, yeah. a, well, do I keep dating him? What if he's really gay? Sort of a thought process and it makes me wonder yeah yeah i think tv's really <laughs> behind the times on that because we're learning more and more how gender fluid people are and i think yeah. there's a lot of men who've had straight and gay experiences and you know whatever they're feeling that day that's how they feel and why does it have to just be a binary 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, bisexual erasure is a big deal for everyone, but I feel like more so for men, I just feel like it's a little bit more accepted for women mm -hmm. than it is for men. And me with men, if you're bisexual, it's like, oh, well, you're just afraid to come out as gay um, or, or there's, you know, something wrong with you. You've had trauma in your past or something. I feel like we can't talk about this without giving a big old shout out to Captain Jack Harkness from Oh yes. Yes. Torchwood. Yeah, yeah, good one. Yeah. He's I think the first male bisexual character I ever saw on television. And he he is such an interesting character. It's not his whole um it's not everything about him. He's got many dimensions and that's just one of them. They give him you know, he kisses women and men on that show. They give him a really interesting gay romance. And then they they kill off his partner for man pain, which is not was not a, the best move on their part. But I think he he was just a great character. I I really like that story. Oh, when you Sh Shannon, when you asked about the scenes, I should have said the one where James Marsis is on there and they punch each other and then make out. That's such a oh, good scene. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think that it's more acceptable for women to have these lesbian dalliances because we're still seeing everything through the male gaze and that's a male fantasy Ooh. and i think that's why it's allowed and um the male you know bisexuality is not allowed because you know what that's threatening to straight men rather than um being a fantasy oh, the patriarchy strikes again so having more diverse storytellers will fix that yeah. I think it's interesting that um, uh, this is the second or third time in this conversation where we've talked about our frustrations about uh, the portrayals of queerness or sexuality in most genres and then came to the realization that science fiction has been a real outlet for those kinds of characters oh, and stories. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, Eve, Shannon brought up a good point. Science fiction tends to be whitewashed and it tends to sometimes be straightwashed, but that is the space historically where we can explore these ideas and these types of characters. And you guys have talked about it before with Sense8, um, that, that it is a science fiction show, and that's probably the best, one of the best co contemporary portrayals of uh, sexual and gender fluidity. And it is a show where mm -hmm. at least two of the straight male characters had sexual experiences with each other mm -hmm. without it having to be this big thing. It was just a thing that happened, and then it was part of their whole experience of being able to connect with each other over distance, and then... The mind orgy. Yeah. The mind exactly. Orgy. I love that scene. Absolutely love yeah. that scene. Yeah. And I love that it wasn't something that had to be examined a million times afterwards, and Will the cop from... America wasn't asking himself, am I bi now? Am I queer now? Am I gay now? It was just where a thing happened and then we continue. A really hot <laughs> thing happened. Oh yeah, it's amazing. I would like to mention that it did happen at the gym. There was working out that happened. Which <laughs> We're going to do a whole side storyline about the like homoeroticness of straight guys. That's, that's, a, whole so, that's uh, a whole sub, that's a whole sub right there. I, I was going to add, I think you continue to talk about genre shows that do that well true blood did a lot of that um oh great point true blood did a lot of the sexual the fluidity of sexuality from mm -hmm. straight and openly gay characters both vampires and other species for all of its faults that show was always hot it was always hot <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a connection between really open and healthy sexuality yes, and really yes. hot shows. Yeah, <laughs> I think they go hand in hand or hand in whatever. <laughs> I know the other show we were talking about that does a good job with that is Transparent. Yes. No, you know what? I I have to say the the uh, the actress Hari Neff who plays the character in the Berlin flashbacks. Um, Ha like I'm, I'm pretty much like at one and a half on the straight to gay continuum, <laughs> um, but Hari Neff really gave mm -hmm. me pause. <laughs> right, she's, really, she's really. So she's so she's so beautiful and she's so sexy and she like just her whole manner is. It's very alluring. So you like that dancing? Every movement was very yeah. alluring, and I think no matter how straight you are, there's going to be someone of your gender that you're like, damn. Damn. Yeah. Like, well, Patsy in the latest episode of Call the Midwife, reclining on the bed in her plaid shirt, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> that's an image that I have filed away. 
I mean, that's why I think it's important as a straight couple to even figure out who is the main person both of you would want to fuck, you know? Ours is Paul Newman. Paul <laughs> oh, Newman. That's a really good choice. Oh. We're classy. Well, he's yeah. dead, so. That's an interesting mm-hmm. question. Hey, listeners, if you're out there and you're in a relationship, let us know who you're, who both of you would like to um, have sexual relations with. Does it have to be just one? <laughs> no. I think Scarlett Johansson's also on ours. I mean... See, that's at least achievable yeah. in that she's still alive. I feel like oh. I feel like it's a little bit of a, a <laughs> cop-out. Not that you guys, you and Sean, will ever bang Scarlett Johansson, but it's a bit of a cop-out to choose someone dead because it takes, you know, it lets Sean off the hook. Like, is mm. he really going to have sex with Paul Newman? No. The man's in a coffin. Or maybe he was cremated. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think it's just Where more it's about, going. like... You know, there's gender fluidity in everybody, and, you know, everybody's going to find, you know, people that are like, oh, I don't think any guys are hot, or I don't think any women are hot. It's like, well, that's stupid. I mean, people are hot, you know, and you're going to get that twinge of attraction to anybody, despite how straight you are, in quotations. Yep. Well, that gets back to the whole spectrum, and that we're all on the spectrum somewhere, and that can change where we are at different times, I think, depending on <laughs> who you're watching on TV. <laughs> Can we, uh, we didn't really talk about Transparent. Can we talk for a minute about, um, obviously, everyone's really familiar with Maura's storyline, but um, two of, in the, the first two seasons, two, the two daughters, the two Pfefferman daughters, both have queer storylines. And I'm wondering what our thoughts are on that. If everyone takes it as face value, or I've heard some conversation about um, uh, the Gabby Hoffman character, um, people feeling frustrated that mm-hmm. she's she's maybe not truly a lesbian or that she's, I don't know. What are our thoughts on that? I, I like that it feels like this is a show where, where anyone could be queer, where like you could just tune into the next episode and suddenly the Pfefferman's son is gay. You know, Jay Duplass is, is dating a dude. You know, like it just feels like any... It's not putting boundaries on characters, and I think there's criticism to be had for that show, but that's one thing that I like about it, where it's not, people aren't, like, strictly defined in that way. I also think it's it's, uh, a little bit of uh, Jill Soloway and her sister Faith Soloway both being queer, and since that show is somewhat autobiographical, I do think that there's some of that seeping in as well. (laughs) You You know what else I like about Transparent is that um, sort of like Orange is the New Black, it's giving, it's going to have ripple effects in that it's giving a platform to uh, several trans performers and actors and actresses and now writers yes. that they're like making this concerted effort to find more trans writers and directors. And it's giving these people credits, like in a very tangible way in inside Hollywood, giving um, credits and a platform and visibility to um, trans creators who then can go on and use this to like move on to other projects and hopefully we'll see the ripple effects from shows like Transparent down the line as these people move on to other That's stuff. a really, really good point. A lot of the shows we've been talking about, I think, are not broadcast shows. They're not on the big four. Uh, is, is there anything good happening on the traditional old school broadcast channels? Well, Modern Family has the gay storyline, but I wouldn't call that show good. I also, I think there's something you said that the, those characters um, are a bit regressive. But, okay, but it is good in that millions of people watch it. You know, your Uncle Harvey in Minnesota could be watching that show, and that could be, you know, the most gay mm-hmm. exposure that old Uncle Harvey has had in his whole life, you know? Maybe previous Absolutely. to this and- there was Will and Grace, but as we said, you know, they never had sex. They barely even kissed on that show. Yeah. And in Modern Family, they kiss all the time. They um, they got married. They didn't at first kiss all the time, though. It was, like, a big deal the first time they actually showed them kiss. Yeah, but this is a show that then went on to win the best comedy Emmy, like, what, like, four or five times in a row four or something like, like that? Mm-hmm. Like, this yeah. is a major... This was, like, the number one comedy for a while. It's, like, right. a huge show. So even though it's really safe and it's a little bit regressive and I wish it was more positive, like, I'm glad it's there because I think it's doing something just by being there. That's absolutely true. I mean, representation... Is, is huge, and that show has such a reach, especially when it came out, what, six years ago. 
Um, it came out, and it came out in America where same-sex marriage was not legal in most states, definitely not federally, and it really opened the door towards, I think, normalizing, for better or worse, mostly better, um, gay couples, gay families. I think the only examples of non-white gay characters on network TV that I can think of are only on Shonda Rhimes shows, though. Empire. Oh, okay. I don't watch Empire. I didn't know that. Yeah, Empire. That's right. One of the sons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How to Get Away with Murder has really interesting uh, gay characters. Yes, and I was going to say, like, it was a pretty big deal that they introduced the idea of prep in a relationship uh, to have that be a storyline, but, like, this generation dealing with the threat of HIV. No other show has done that, to my knowledge. Yeah. I also thought of Master of None and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt as non-white gay characters. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but they're not on network. Well, yeah. You know, one other show that does gay characters really well, of course, is Orphan Black, which we've talked about on the show in the past. And uh, actually, one of our Facebook friends, Jim Lyons, uh, wrote about uh, the Clone Club members, um, Cosima and uh, Tony, who was only on for one show, but that's um, a Trans Man who is part of Clone Club, and especially Felix, who is a pretty awesome uh, dude, and Delphine, may she rest in peace. So that's another show that has a lot of gay characters in it and has a lot of leeway in what they're doing with the characters. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for mentioning that. And I love love science fiction, man. They're doing doing such a good job. Felix is such a great character. Cosima is amazing, although they're threatening... Her um, health and well-being, and I think that if no, no, I mean you know, no spoilers, but being a clone is not a safe um, thing to be. Yeah, (laughs) bury your clones. Um, Hashtag bury your clones. If Cosima dies, I think you will see fan outrage. Um, depending right. on that. I'm going to be writing that for a letter. I think it's interesting that that outrage wasn't really there for Delphine. I think because of two reasons: the fact that they have multiple queer characters. And because her death came because of, like, real decisions she had made to sort of make a deal with the devil here and there. And it wasn't just some random thing that happened. It was a logical conclusion to the agency the character had displayed. Yeah. I mean, how novel, right? <laughs> I mean, and that, that speaks volumes for the, the nuanced way that you can write out a character. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that I think to me that's the most important part of what we can get out of this um, barrier gaze trope is that they're you. It's not that they're, we're just killing off characters that's a problem. It's that it's they're killing them so blatantly. Uh, usually after you almost always queer and usually after their one happy moment in the lifetime of that character in that show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll say with the one hundred. I started watching that show when I heard that they had made the main character bisexual. I was like, oh, shit, I better catch up. So I went back. I binge-watched all of it, caught up, had, like, a happy half of a season. And then those two characters had sex, and they killed one off. And I said, I I heard that they killed her off before I was even able to watch the episode. And I said, oh, well, guess I'm done watching the 100 then. And I, I haven't watched an episode since. So, you know, if you want your queer audiences to stick around... And as we've seen, like, queer audiences are getting bigger and bigger um, as old straight people die and young people have decided they're gay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then maybe don't kill off your gay characters. <laughs> yes. As the homosexual agenda takes over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't talk about it on the podcast. It's a secret. <laughs> this episode brought to you by the Gay Mafia. <laughs> well, I know we wanted to talk about two shows um, that we really love the gay representation in. Uh, London Spy and Please Like Me. Yeah, I, I am a huge fan of both of these shows. Um, partially because I think they're really well made, but also because they take traditional genre shows that we don't normally get to see from a queer perspective. And although it is a white male perspective, they are the protagonists in each of these shows are gay men. And their sexuality is part of who they are, but it does not define who they are which I think is very progressive. Um, London Spy is a BBC miniseries that came out in the States, I believe in February of this year. And it is a very dark, traditional spy thriller that's um, very paranoid. But the twist is that uh, the protagonist, played by Ben Wishaw, is 
gay and also deals with the history of drug abuse and um, neglect in his family. And all of this informs the this character who deals with the loss of his lover in the first episode and has to slowly unravel um, the government propaganda that his, spoiler alert, lover spy was involved in. <laughs> I don't, is it really a spoiler if it's in the title? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> But we don't know who's the spy. I didn't love the show, but but just in talking about the organic storytelling around gay characters, I thought it was a really great shout back to the very real experiences of British spies who were gay and then were blackmailed by Soviet spies to uh, turn. And this is this has happened many times. There have been many books written about it, but it's really interesting to reach back into that history and bring it into the present and sort of look at it again in a sort of a new way. Um, this show for me was an example of the wasted opportunities from not telling more traditional genre stories from new perspectives because mm. I fucking loved it and I love the way they were able to incorporate spy tropes and sort of like gothic melodrama tropes and all together and then tie those in with this queer perspective and kind of use the common theme of dual identity in all three of those perspectives in just a really interesting way it's just an example of how much more interesting a story can get when there are diverse characters in it and that it should seem simple but apparently people don't get it <laughs> yeah, I found I found I only watched the pilot in anticipation of this podcast and I found the storytelling to be extremely slow and I almost wanted to watch it on fast forward. And Oh, I should have done that. <laughs> I, I hard disagree. Hard I, disagree. Well, I might also be the only person on this podcast immune to Ben Wishaw's like puppy dog eyes, <laughs> like floppy hair. <laughs> Um, but that said, if this show hadn't been gay, if that had been a straight romance, I would have turned it off within 10 seconds, you know, like there, there would have been nothing new there, but it was an interesting story if it, if it was maybe told like about half the speed that I wanted it to be told at. I've only watched the pilot too, but mainly because, you know, life has been crazy and what, I mean, I was texting Dave while I was watching the pilot. I tweeted about it. And what captivated me is it was such a romantic love story of the two characters. And I was totally drawn into just the dramatic storytelling, not even the spy stuff wasn't as interesting to me, but I hadn't seen just those little moments of falling in love with a gay storyline like that. And I loved it. Yeah. It, It almost felt like a play, you know? It's it's written very much like a play, and I, I Britt, I totally agree. It's very, it's very slow, um, but to me, that's what was so remarkable about it. Because outside of I would say looking on HBO, I can't mm-hmm. think of another time in the last couple of years where we've gone into the intimacy of falling in love um, between mm-hmm. at least gay male characters. Yeah, the intimacy, um, and it was really refreshing. Well, on Please Like Me, Please Like then, Me is a good example of that. I think. Yeah. So the other the other example I wanted to bring up is Please Like Me, which is an Australian romantic dramedy. It's a half hour, um, starring and created by um, is it Josh Thomas? Josh Thomas. And yeah. um, it's a really lighthearted tone that ends up dealing with some really interesting, tough topics. Once again, his gayness, his queerness, is part of the story, but it's not just about that. It's about finding a job and finding your place in your twenties and your friendships and dating and also your place in your family and your responsibility Mm -hmm. to yourself and to your parents in a really fun way wait 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 so you're telling me as gay people you actually are dealing with all of those things shocking (laughs) i know (laughs) not just being gay yeah huh okay um i also like that he is not just he's not a queer as folk character he does not go to the gym even once uh, <laughs> I was going to point that out. Yeah, <laughs> he, you know, he's like he's like an oaf. He's kind of schlubby. He like looks like he can barely dress himself. He lives in a terrible house with like a roommate who needs a haircut. Like these are very <laughs> real characters who who don't look like your typical like bronzed and tan and greased up gay characters that you know I I don't know where I'm watching these characters. I guess porn or something. <laughs> 
Okay, Jeffrey. Jeffrey is pretty like central casting. I know, but Jeffrey is also. I've never seen a character like Jeffrey before. I know he's great. No, no, I love, I love. Please like me so much. I think it's great. So I have nothing negative to say about it. But Je- I think we should explain who Jeffrey is. Jeffrey is um, yes. the love Josh's love interest, who is so beautiful and gets strips down to his underwear on many occasions, and, and we're okay with that. <laughs> And um, he is such an interesting character. Except he has no personality. Yeah, well, he he has a personality. He just has no sense of humor, which you slowly realize, like, this is the most earnest person. And he's never had to develop a sense of humor because he is just so beautiful. He can get by on looks alone. And we meet those people all the time in Los Angeles. Yeah, totally. He's very kind. I mean, he's a really kind and thoughtful guy. Oh, the scene where he's in the hot tub with the dad and they're like talking honestly yeah. about the dad's divorce. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I love this guy. He is so weird. I could never be friends with him, but I love him as a character. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say there's there's another, spoiler alert, there's another love interest that's introduced in the second season that doesn't really hit until the third season that is a pretty unconventional character in that it's a character who is dealing with mental illness, but also dating as in, as a gay man. Like, I don't think I've ever seen that story on screen before. No, and it's wonderful. Uh, I just love that show. I love everything that they do with Josh's character. And I think it's one of, it's an example of a show where, um, I mean, a lot of gay storylines involve coming out like they always feel like they have to begin at the beginning and this one does that in an actual fresh way I've never seen it done quite the way they do it here and it's just it is very very real I don't I don't think there's a better way to put it than it just they just feel like real people yeah and I'd like to add that one of my favorite things about the show is Josh's relationship with his mom who in the first season um, is diagnosed with bipolar and um, attempt suicide, and it's all handled in a very frank way, but in a way that it all, they they also all have a sense of humor about it, and that it's how you often deal with family members who are going through a very serious illness of any kind. That it's not always really dark and sad. You also have to laugh about it. Uh, the coming out, the way that coming out is handled on Please Like Me is really feels really well done and very modern in yes. that it's not. I mean, I've uh, you know, it, if you are queer and have watched any movies from like the 80s or 90s at all, it's just like a bunch of tragic, melodramatic coming out stories. And it's exhausting watching coming out stories. So eventually you're just like, I just want to see out characters. I don't want to see coming out anymore. I'm sick of coming yeah. out. Yeah. But Please Like Me uh, he he is not out in the pilot and he slowly has to come out to basically everyone. But it's done in a way where it's not the most epic, important thing in the world, you know, but it's also not nothing. And it, it mm-hmm. manages to strike that balance really interestingly where you don't know how people react, so you're nervous, but you also are pretty sure they're not going to, you know, beat you up and leave you in the parking lot for dead. So it's it's... It's a new sort of way of coming out that feels very, like, 20, 2015s-ish. Well, Britta, it goes back to what you said earlier earlier in our conversation. It's like, you don't think about your, your gayness on a daily basis. You live in Los Angeles in 2016, and it comes up sometimes, but you forget about it. And Please Like Me yeah. is one of those shows where it's the same thing. Yeah. In particular, the fact that his best friend is a straight guy is such a non-issue for all of it that I would just applaud them for just that that detail. Wait, I'll bet there's fan fiction out there of Josh and Tom together, don't you think? <laughs> Ew, bro. Yeah, there must Suddenly be. I want to read some. I, re- I really like the scene. I've only seen the first season so far, but I think that the way they handle the, the, the gay storylines and the, the, these interactions with parents and straight people is great. And I think that that's really hit home because they put in a little scene near the end of season one where the mom's gentleman friend comes across um, Jeffrey in the bathroom naked. Mm-hmm. And he's such a raging homophobe. It's interesting watching him trying to deal with him being in the bathroom with a naked homosexual. <laughs> it's really upsetting him um, to, to you know, just kind of remind us that, you know, the whole world isn't like some of the wonderful people on that show. Right. But it's done in a way that's so in character with the show. It's still kind of understated and sort of funny and a little awkward. And I like the way it flips it so that the person who would be surprised by that is the one who's out of place. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, totally. That also feels very modern to me where like mostly everyone is cool with being gay, but it's sort of like being gay is like being like walking through a, a minefield where you know that they disabled almost all the mines, but <laughs> some of them are there still might be alive. one. <laughs> you just don't know like Such who you're going to come out to and get a negative reaction from, you know, or or who's going to react violently. You just don't know and you you hope you can do everything you can to put yourself in safe situations. You can move to Los Angeles and you can live in a gay neighborhood, but you never know when you're going to be walking down the street, holding hands with your wife. And then, you know, boom, something terrible happens. I want to, I want to just bring up sort of as an ending note, one of our very favorite shows that we talk about a lot, which is crazy ex-girlfriend, mm. which had a kind of a surprise gay storyline that just sort of bubbled up out of nowhere with um, Daryl and white Josh mm -hmm. And the thing I really like about that is that White Josh has been gay all along. No one's really mentioned it. His friends don't seem to care. It is a non-issue. He does work at a gym. Um, <laughs> he works at a gym. Okay. Um, but as his relationship develops with Daryl, it's all, you know, it's awkward, but I, I think it's awkward like any new relationship is awkward mm -hmm. in some ways. Yeah. But the fact that White Josh is sort of like, yeah, I'm gay. Yeah, all my friends know. And, yeah. you know, so... And, you know, uh, Daryl gets to sing a whole song about being bisexual, so <laughs> we're really combating a, that bi erasure. So gays are, are prevalent in uh, sci-fi and musicals, basically. Yes. yes. And yes. <laughs> if I only had to watch those two genres for the rest of my life, I'd be perfectly happy, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, and on comedies, it's still like the situation in Master of None where you can't have two Indian guys. It's very rare you have two gay characters on a comedy. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah. Let's hope that after we release this podcast, the problem is solved. Oh, wow. Be yeah. awesome. I think, I think this podcast will solve Absolutely. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Don't Everyone you think? take this podcast yeah. and forward it to your favorite showrunner in your life. Um, <laughs> and then have them hire us on their writing staffs. Problem solved. And to all of our listeners, please tweet at us your favorite gay characters, your favorite shows um, that feature gay characters. We're really interested to hear um, what you're thinking about this topic. Thank you, Britta and Dave, for being our very first guests ever after four plus years of podcasting. Thank you. So fun. Yay. Thank you. So fun. It was my gay pleasure. You can find us on Twitter at Down Gabby. We are keeping the name, even though... Uh, the show is it's over. It's a good name. Yeah, it's a good name. You can search us on Facebook with Down Gabby and also see new content and all the back episodes at downgabby.tumblr.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>